It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Believer, the Unbeliever, and the In-Betweener. And I thought we'd kick off this episode today with a really interesting topic. Lately, I have, as the unbeliever, I have been doing a lot of biblical studies, but also watching a lot of debate videos, videos with atheists and religious people, uh, mostly Christian, debating their stances of everything from creation to you know, whether there are gods or not, of course. And I've, I just find them so interesting. And I have just obsessively been watching these debates. And I thought it would be a great day to uh, share with the believer and in-betweener of the group a bunch of questions that I have that I think a lot of people that are worried about, you know, believing, you know, how do I get past these certain questions that just keep kind of I don't know, scaring me. So I, I thought I'd share them with uh, with the group and we'd, we'll have a discussion with all of you today. Mm, cool. Yeah. What do you guys think? I like it. Sounds good. I, I think it sounds great. <laughs> let's, let's do this. So we're, we're going to be put on the hot seat today. <laughs> yes. All yes. Right. As the unbeliever, I'm going to blast off with some questions that that keep bugging me that don't that kind of don't let me get to the point of believing so um, yeah. hopefully they are also questions most people have out there and let's yeah. see if we can get past this all right yeah, yeah that sounds good so, all right so go ahead Cheryl, I, start. I, I'll, I'll kick <laughs> off my ready, first question all right, here we go. fire <laughs> away fire away brace yourselves okay brace yourselves so, yeah. <laughs> so um one of the big questions I, I have is, is this word called faith, okay? And I know Christians do not want to consider themselves as a religion, but they want to consider themselves a faith. And the word faith to me, and I think this is what it has defined, but it's basically, um, you know, a belief that lacks any evidence. You, you just have faith on it. Um, you don't know if it's true or not, but it's you just have faith. And so it confuses me how you can call it, how Christians can call their faith the truth mm-hmm. when faith and truth to me just seem like two different words. So I was hoping maybe you guys could explain yeah. um, you know, how you call it the truth when it's really a faith. Okay, Cheryl. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And I'm sure a lot of people have asked this question why don't we start by defining the word faith? So I looked up the definition in Wikipedia and Wikipedia defines faith as to have complete trust or confidence in something or someone to be fully persuaded of something you don't see. And then I looked it up in the Bible to see how the Bible defines faith. And we see in Hebrews 11, that faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we don't see. So mm-hmm. I think we can see that they're very similar and they both speak mm-hmm. to this idea of confidence, certainty of what is not seen. So it's like, um, you know, trusting in what is not seen. 
Now, we also see in the scriptures that faith comes from hearing the word of God. So if we ask the question, well, how does faith happen? How does it come? The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. So as believers, we have a complete trust or complete confidence or certainty in the word of God and the promises that are in the word of God. And so when it comes to this question of truth, how can we call it truth? We have that confidence in the scripture. So when we see where Jesus says that he is the truth and the way and the life in his word, then we as believers have complete confidence that that is true. The, the scriptures also say that all scripture is truth. And so when we see here that Jesus states he is the truth and not a truth, then when we read the scriptures, we see that there is an absolute truth that the scriptures speak to. So that's how I would answer and reconcile those two. Mm. Michelle, I, I don't know if you have any um, yeah, additional I, thoughts. or I do. I, I'm going to go, for me, I thought that faith was a feeling. I thought it was something that you spoke, like you just get, like it's like something like a tingling feeling. I was like, what the heck is faith? What does faith mean? I didn't know what it meant. Your definition is beautiful. It's great. It's, it's you know, it's biblical and, and, for people who kind of have like maybe a veil over them or just kind of like they're stuck with like, just like a bi biblical definition. For me, what worked <laughs> is someone told me this and it was a great example that, okay, let's say I have an illness and I go to a doctor. Um, I'm going to hear the, the word from the doctor who's going to give me a treatment plan. So I have to have faith and I have to, well, maybe not use faith. I have to have that trust, that assurance that what he is saying, I have to trust him. It's like trusting his words that I'm going to take a pill, let's say, that's going to help me. I have to trust that that pill is going gonna, is gonna to work. You know, that it's, it's, it's like, it's just like faith. It's like having hope in something. Like I'm going to have hope in that treatment. I'm listening to the doctor who's telling me truth. How do I know he's telling me the truth? You know, I have to, tr it, faith is all about trust. You know, and I know a lot of people used to talk about like, oh, well, how about you're breathing air? You hope that you're, you know, breathing in, you don't see the air, you know, so things like that, or like sitting in a chair, you know, they say, you know, is that, are you going to trust, you're going to sit down in a chair, what if the legs break out or the, it's broken or, you know what I mean? So for me, I like things that are more tangible. Like I like explanations that for me are more tangible. So I think, I don't know if that helped, but if it made sense, I hope it did. Um, but yeah, that, but that, that's what really helped me understand what faith meant is the fact that, because I'm afraid to take pills. I, I don't take pills. I have a headache. I, I have a hard time taking a Tylenol, but uh, you know, I have to trust that that Tylenol is going to make my headache go away and it's not going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And, and kind of yeah, but you, you, you can do that. You can have trust and faith in things like that because there has been you know, it's happened many times before and the success rate is high. And so, you know, mm -hmm. for the most part, there's evidence that a chair will hold you or, or a Tylenol will help your headache or what have you, you know, it's, mm -hmm. this is completely intangible. And well, Stephanie, you mentioned the word 
um, I mean, you said something like, you know, Jesus, like you heard the word of God, right? So for you, it ends up being totally true. But then for someone else who has not heard, you know, it was not struck by anything or was not spoken to, like, how could it be true for them when, when it didn't happen to them, so to speak? Yeah, well, I mean, when we look at this verse, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's also a reference to hearing the gospel message. However, yeah, I, I wasn't sure how, if you meant like a literal hearing, like he's speaking to you. Oh, yeah. Okay, good yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, no, not like an audible voice of God. That's not really what this is saying. This right. is referring to somehow, some way, the gospel message has been brought to you, whether by a pastor, a friend, something you see on TV, however, uh, or maybe you just flip the Bible open one day and, and the Lord brings you to the verse about the gospel. And so faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, meaning once you hear the truth about the gospel, then a person is left with a choice. You know, do you receive that or do you reject that? And so faith is saying, even though I didn't meet Jesus personally, even though I didn't see that he rose from the dead, there's no iPhone video that I can go on YouTube to say, oh, let me let me see evidence of the resurrection. It doesn't exist. So, I mean, we have eye uh, witness accounts that are written in the scriptures and so forth. We have prophecies of a, of a forecoming Messiah to come in the Old Testament and so on. So we, we have things like that, which I do think um, contribute to proof or evidence. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, seeing Jesus with your own eyes or that kind of stuff. I think the Bible is saying that faith comes by hearing the word of God, meaning when you hear the gospel, does one say, yes, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize the need for a savior or, or rejects that message. And for the one who says, wow, yeah, I do see that. I do see the perspective that, you know, who God is and the judgment to come. And, you know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's work is to convict a person of righteousness, sin, and judgment. So it is a work of the Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us uh, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so I would say that's what happened to me in that moment when I got saved. The Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin, of the righteousness of God, and of judgment, that there really was a coming judgment. And so because of that conviction, I chose to believe the, the gospel. That's how I would explain that or respond to that. Can I, can I read something? Um, yes. Okay, let me get it. Uh, it is in John, John 20. Let me see where it is. John 20, 29. It says, uh, get over here. I should have had it ready. Okay, so 20, 29 says, Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So I think that's talking about faith, you know, that, you know, people like you said, Stephanie, that people don't, you know, you didn't actually see Jesus. You didn't. So what he's saying here is that, you know, hearing the word, you didn't see him, but you're, you're going to believe without seeing it. And that's, you know, 
blessed are those who believe without seeing. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, it's, it's, it's taking that claim under consideration and saying, yeah. is it true or is it not? And exploring that, which I think is what Cheryl is doing. I think Cheryl yeah. is examining that claim. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm going to just go back to what the verse says about the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that conviction is necessary because until a person is convicted of their sin and of judgment, there really is no need for Jesus. Or there's not an understanding innately of why one would need Jesus. It really doesn't make sense outside of that context. Mm. I, I, I know for me that that's what it was. It wasn't until I got convicted of the truth of my sinnership, even though I didn't believe in sin, I didn't believe in hell and all that stuff, that it then made sense. And of course, all that happened very quickly, but it made sense. And so I was able to see that the claims of Christ were actually true. And so just like it's saying here, faith comes by hearing the word of God, and then it becomes an assurance, a certainty of what you don't see, but you know it's true. It's kind of like that. I heard you mention, I chose to believe, and I'm, I find that so interesting because a lot of, a, that's like a phrase I've been studying because I, I'm coming to learn that you actually don't choose your beliefs. I mean, you, you have a belief because you've been convinced or persuaded you know, to, to believe it's true, but you don't necessarily choose them. Like if just, if you want to believe something just because you want to, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. It, it, you have to be convinced of it, of course. Well, yeah. I mean, I, again, I would use the word convicted um, right. rather than convinced. Um, I don't know that I was convinced as much as I was convicted and then understanding the work of the cross, which prior to, I, I didn't really fully comprehend it. Then I did have a choice to say, you know, I don't think I want to do this Jesus thing. I mean, I, I could have walked out of my office that moment and said, I'm too scared of man. I'm too scared of what people are going to say about me. I'm too scared that maybe my husband might leave me. I'm too scared that people are going to think I'm an idiot because I became a Christian. And so I'm going to reject it. I mean, I, I could have done that. My, my conviction made it so that I didn't want to do that. But like, yeah. And, and because you were convicted in that moment, but you know, on the flip side of that, like no amount of reading the Bible or, you know, you can't just study your way into believing it. I mean, yes, I, something has I, to I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I think there has to be, Remember, um, the scriptures say that God has designed it so, so that people would not come to know him through human wisdom. And he did that so people would not boast. So there is, I would say, coming to the Lord is more about the heart rather than the head. Pride comes from our mind. So it, it, there, I think for people who make that leap, in a sense, let's say, something has changed in their heart, not so much their mind, because I, even again, even for, for me, it wasn't something I learned in my intellectual mind that 
made it all happen for me, um, made it clear. It, I would say the conviction. So what do you mean pr- by pricked my heart? Boast. Pricked my heart. What do you mean? So we don't boast. Well, the scripture That's- says that uh, that God made it so that we would not come to know Him or understand Him through human wisdom, so that the wisdom of the wise uh, would be brought to nothing. In other words, so it's 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 by design that it's not obvious that He's not obvious, right? Like the whole. I you don't know, know that, it, that it's not obvious. I think uh, you know, my understanding of it is, and I, I got to find the verse. Let me see if I can find that verse um, and actually like read it. Things like, uh, you know, if Jesus's resurrection is probably the, the whole, you know, everything about Christianity lies on that moment, but yet nobody witnessed it. it you know, it sounds like you're saying God arranged it so that no one actually knows anything but just believes rather than like, rather than providing evidence. Right. Well, let, let's do this. Let me read you the verse and then you tell me what, what you think it means. Right. So here it is. It's first Corinthians one It says, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our foolish preaching to save those who believe how would you interpret that verse? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like exactly as it says, it just sounds like, you know, again, no amount of knowledge is going to bring you there. Yeah. I mean, and again, I, I don't think this means that God is saying don't ask questions or don't seek him. Um, just the opposite. You know, the Lord says, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open. So those who seek with an earnest heart, God says he reveals himself to the humble, but he resists the proud. So those who sincerely in their heart come to the Lord and say, Lord, please help me understand this whole Jesus thing. You know, Lord, if you are real and Jesus is the, the, the truth and that salvation is only through Christ, show me show it to me, help me to see that. Because I do believe everybody is so, so unique that the Lord has to work with each person individually in his own way. Um, that God knows you and coming to him sincerely from the heart, he'll, he'll reveal himself because his word says he will. He reveals himself to the humble, but he resists the proud. So if somebody comes to him like, oh, come on, God, you know, I know this is true. You know, I must be still so proud. <laughs> yeah. And look, no one knows the timing and God, everything in God's universe is perfect. At the end of it all, we will all believer and unbeliever alike know that every moment, everything done in the universe from the beginning of time to the end of time was perfect in all its ways. Everything, every bird that flew, every word spoken, everything this podcast right now anyone listening you asking these questions all of it is working together in perfect harmony so god is in this right now too you know and and what comes of this for you or for anyone or even michelle and i you know we just have to trust the lord and he's working now 
you know, seeking ye shall find. I mean, he's, he's already at work right now. Well, I do believe seek and, and you shall find. I mean, as long as you're searching for something, something will turn up for sure. I mean, that's just, that's how it works. Yeah. And, um, doesn't mean you'll find truth, but you'll find something. Well, again, I'm just going to stand, you know, again, as a Christian, I trust the integrity of the scripture. So I'm, I'm going to just reiterate and stand on his promise and his promises that he reveals himself to the humble, but he resists the proud in terms of the spirit, because the Bible says that the, that the Lord is spirit. So, and that the spirit of the Lord resists those who are proud. So the spirit is not going to come and reveal itself to those who are puffed up with pride or, you know. See, it's, it's things like that, that, that bug me too, because it's, it's, there's, there's an explanation for everything, you know? So it's kind of like, if it's not happening to you yet, you know, you know how we used to joke about like, well, you must not be praying hard enough. Like there's always an explanation and there's a, there's a way to rationalize anything in the Bible. So it's like, oh, I must be proud because he's not, he's not coming to me yet. I mean, well, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm probably doing a bad way of saying this. I'm probably doing a bad way of articulating the fact that he is coming to you. Right. And, and you don't know where you'll end up. It could be five years from now, five months from now, five days from now, or, or never. But I'm just saying, you don't know how all of this is ultimately working. So you just got to make sure you don't die until that point. <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> today is the day of salvation. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, look, you, you can't force faith. You know, I mean, sure. look, I've only been a believer for five years. Most of my life, I've been an unbeliever. So, you know, it's not something you can force. All, all I can reiterate is from my experience and what I've learned from the scriptures is that a lot of it has to do with the heart. And if a person is sincerely, like, in other words, coming to the foot of the Lord with no bias, no preconceived notion, no religion, no, hey, my priest told me this since I was five. Oh, hey, this is what my family always did. So therefore it's true. But just come to the Lord naked in a sense, right? And say, help me, Lord. I'm seeking you. I'm seeking to understand what is really true and what isn't. Help me understand. And I do believe based on his word, the Lord will guide you. Now, what you choose to believe and what you reject, that's part of your free will. So it's not a fait accompli that just because the Lord shows you something that automatically that means you're going to believe it, you know, because you still have free will. Sure. And we actually have a question about that, but. um, Yeah, go go ahead. Yeah, I mean, free will is, you know, if he reveals himself, you still, you can know it's true. Okay. You do exist, but you could still choose to reject or, you know, not worship. Correct. So it it doesn't mean that you wouldn't believe you would just believe it's true, but say, I'm not doing that. Correct. And, and there are people out there that are based on my understanding. I don't think this is the majority of people. I think it's far and few between, but there are some people that understand that Jesus is God and all that stuff and uh, still will outright reject it, reject the Lord, reject the gospel. So sure. 
it's yeah it's not an absolute oh just because someone understands it and believes it that therefore they will receive the gift of the gospel no it's few and far between but <laughs> there's yeah there's plenty of uh atheists that that say i don't I don't want to go to heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun just worshiping God all day. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, no, so moving moving to that question of free free will, um, it's it's basically you know did did God really give us free will and 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 what's the purpose of it in terms of you know heaven has free will and no suffering, so why couldn't he just create a world where there was free will and no suffering. I mean, it obviously exists. He created a situation called heaven that's like that. So why on earth do we have to have suffering yeah. as if, you know, free will? I just think the argument of, well, free will will allow people to suffer. Well, it didn't have to be that way. So what's that about? Yeah. Well, again, let's start with definitions, right? So let's define free will. So the definition of free will is the ability to act at one's own discretion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that's the definition. Now, the question, why didn't God originally create the world with, with both free will and no suffering in the beginning? The answer is he did. Because in the beginning, there was no death. God created people with free will, Adam and Eve had free will and prior to their dis disobedience, there was no sin. So Adam and Eve of their own free will sinned, right? So Romans 5.12 says death entered the world because of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So death entered the world because of sin. And then in, in Romans 5.19, it says through the disobedience of one, sin entered the world and many became sinners, but, so the good news is, but through the obedience of another, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. So, so why would he create people that can sin and then, and then punish them for sinning? Okay, so the question is, why did God create free will, right? Because free will, again, going back to the definition, is the ability to act at one's own discretion, which means disobedience is part of that free will. And so the reason God created free will was because in order to him as the creator to experience love with his creation, there needs to be free will. Otherwise love cannot exist in its true form because then otherwise it would just be a robot. But it so, exists in heaven, right? Heaven has free will, but no, but nothing's going to go wrong. Well, that's because you're free from your sin nature. Because sin is in the flesh. So once you're, you're out of the body of flesh, there is no sin. So you won't, uh, have, you won't have the sin nature to fight against. So it's like every choice you make is just going to be a great choice. Like it's always going to be for everyone's best interest every time. Right. Yeah. Because you're free from the, the power of sin and death. So... That's what Jesus came to do, to free us from the power of sin and death. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it just confuses me why, that, why, why it was created when it didn't have to be created. Because of love. Because God wants, 
relationship with his creation and love and true love can only exist when free will is part of that equation. Otherwise he's just making a bunch of robots and. Right. But the free will could have been arranged where every choice was a good one and, and we didn't hurt each other. I think that so we still have free choices, but all of them would be good choices is my point. I think that, I think that in the, in the flesh, because, because of that free will, sin entered the world. I mean, that, that's what the scriptures are, are saying to us, that, it, that sin did not exist in the beginning, but that it entered when the first sin occurred. And the first sin occurred because God created creation with free will. So that he could experience love with his creation. That, I mean, that's what the scriptures are teaching. Mm -hmm. Michelle, do you have any thoughts? Or what do you, what do you um, think about I, that? I think that you're doing a very, 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 very good job. Because <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Meanwhile, I, I'm just still stuck on the first, um, when you said that the Lord pierced your heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sitting in there. I'm like, why is it my heart pierced? <laughs> That's where I am. I'm like stuck at. Wait a minute. My my heart didn't. I I, I don't think it's pierced. Oh my! Anyway, I always think of it as like being struck by lightning. Like it like it should be that clear. I know. I'm like sitting here. So I feel why. like Stephanie was struck by lightning, but we right. Weren't. Um, that, that's why I feel like <laughs> I would say, am I saved? <laughs> and again, you know, I, I don't think it happens like that for everyone. I don't think it has to happen okay, like that good. for everyone. I, I just think I was so, I mean, look, as a new age believer and as my personality, I'm, I'm a very convicted person, right? Like I'm a very, um, when I believe something, I believe it. I'm all in. So as a new ager, I was all in. And I thought that I was, you know, I had, I had the right answer, very prideful and pride comes before the fall. Right. So pride is really what keeps most people from receiving Christ. It's you, it's, if not a hundred percent, it's mostly pride that we all have, even though we don't think we have it. Right. If you told me five years ago, I had pride, I'd be like, no, I don't. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> you don't know you have it till you don't have it. It's like that weird Sure. Dichotomy, right? Um, but again, looking back, I can see how I think part of why it was so night and day for me was because when I realized the, the, the Holy Spirit did its work in me, you know, convicted me of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, it was like such a slap in the face to me, and it cracked everything I thought I thought was true. And so it was such a a paradigm shift uh, for me, you know, mm -hmm. because I was so convinced the other way, you know, maybe some people are not as convinced in what they believe. Sometimes people don't really even think about what they believe. Most people really don't. They don't walk around like analyzing things, you know? So maybe not everybody is so firm in, in their belief. And maybe because I was, and, and the Lord showed me that that was not correct, it was a big hit mm -hmm. for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right. Okay. 
I mean, Michelle, think about your upbringing. I mean, you, you, you did, according to what you said, you weren't really part of anything. No, right? you, I wasn't. You, you, you were just kind of floating around. So maybe I mean, I was, I, not going to hit you the, that way. Right. Because I mean, I followed the Jewish religion and, you know, I thought that, that I was the chosen one, you know, because of what the Bible says. And I just, I thought I was special and it was really okay. hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, I was going to heaven first, you know, it's like, you know, you people who believe in Jesus, you know, that's a man, you know, I had that. So it was really hard for me when I became a Christ follower. And it's not like I got pierced and I said, oh, this is the reason why I'm doing it. I did, I do read, I do things like for people, you know, it's, it wasn't really for myself. So that's why I think I'm, that's why I'm, I'm, there's my block, I think, where I struggle with, um, with my salvation because I feel like I, I became a Christ follower because I, my husband was Christian. We baptized our son. And now I was like, well, if they're a Christian, I need to be Christian. So I did it more like that. It wasn't like it was, I heard the word and it was like, I got it. I have to do it. That's truth. I mean, I believe, I believed, you know, what I read in the Bible, you know, as far as, you know, everything that I, I've been learning, you know, cause I'm taking it like, um, you know, cause I'm a doubter. I have, I'm like doubting Thomas, you know, I'm like, I need to see it. I, I need to see it. So I, I'm kind of on that side of it, but knowing that when I read the Bible, that there were first hand, firsthand accounts of people who were actually there, I, I'm going to believe that. You know, these are people that were there, they witnessed it and um, they're writing about it. So for me, that that's good. That's good enough for me that, mm -hmm. that I'm reading, you know, think about history. You know, we're reading history books. I wasn't there, but I have to believe what it says in history. You know, I wasn't there. How do I know Christopher Columbus really did, you know, discovered America? Because we do have evidence of it. Yeah, but this, but that's where but the, the, the Bible but, to me, it, it's not a first-hand account it's you know obviously all this uh, the gospels and everything were written yeah you know, 50 first years later and but it's you know it, it's, it's hearsay story um yeah. it's not yeah, like they, they yeah, were there yeah they were there the these the the people that were there who wrote the bible most of it they were there paul he witnessed jesus he he spoke to jesus you know so i'm gonna believe that why would why would all these people write in the Bible and make up the same story. You know, to me, that's, they were in different locations writing. I, I'm going to believe that that's, that's true. Um, and I mean, look, also another thing is how am I even sitting here talking and eating and breathing and have a brain and a heart and blood is pumping. And I'm, I'm looking at these trees and flowers and butterflies. Where the heck did that come from? It has to come from God it has to come from, you know, and I'm going to believe that, you know, God is well just because we don't know where something came from it's not like I don't know therefore God I mean we're like how do you draw that conclusion <laughs> well where else am I gonna draw I mean because I, they, but, I, but it's, I'm not saying there's another answer I'm just right, saying but, it doesn't conclude a God it just right just but don't know. <laughs> well I mean if you think about it history and the stories that are being told it had to have it's not a made up story that was just 10 years ago. I mean, this is something thousands and thousands and millions and millions of people in the whole world are talking about God. Yeah. And there are and thousands Jesus. of different gods, right? So mm, yeah, but to say which one's the right one or who, who performed what, you know? Well, I, I believe, I believe um, that the Bible is true and what it says, 
is true. Well, you know what you guys are the doubts I continue having. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, what you guys are saying back and forth is a perfect example of free will. Mm -hmm. The fact that people have the free will to choose to not believe or to to reject the scriptures or to say, I believe that there's no such thing as one true God or, you know, I, what you guys are, what you guys just demonstrated in your dialogue is free will. (laughs) And also, and another thing is, I know you're saying that there are a lot of different gods, but think about it. The Jewish religion and the Catholic religion or the Christian religion, it's all the same. That's the same God. It's just that we believe the Christians believe that Jesus is who, who God is, you know? So what other God is going to, you know, like Buddha, does he believe in God or Buddha? You know what I mean? Or different, like all these different religions have different gods, but you have two religions that believe in the same God and it's the same story, the same history. I, I don't know if that, if, where, where I'm going with that, but I'm just thinking that it's, it's. Well, it, you know, just the bottom line being that there's thousands of religions, there's even thousands of denominations of Christianity. So even Christians can't agree on what's, right, wrong, and true. Um, well, that, yeah, that, that's religion, though. That's religion. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, that's, and that's we could, what, I mean, do you want to address yeah. that question? I mean, that is one of your questions. Do you, yeah. should we pivot to that question? I just wanted to say a word on free will, too, though, because um, okay. there's this neuroscientist named Sam Harris that I follow, and I really enjoy his work. Hmm. And he makes a good point about free will, that, that, that it's really an illusion, because um, even though we are allowed to choose whatever we want, but we still have a subconscious predisposition of, of what we're going to pick when we choose things. So I, I just thought that was an interesting other way to look at free will. Like it's not just haphazard, you know, that we're allowed to do whatever we want. We do make our choices based on, you know, genetic or environment or, you know, things in our, that we've experienced and, and, you know, we make subconscious choices all the time. So it's not necessarily free, but that's, you know, it's a whole other topic, but I just wanted to throw that out there that it's interesting. Well, I think there. Yeah, goes- I mean, I definitely think, I'm sorry, Michelle. No, ahead, that, Michelle. I, I, in my opinion is, I think that's the problem reading Sam Harris's books. <laughs> <laughs> there lies the, the stumbling block. <laughs> I, I don't even know who he is. Do you, um, you know, Michelle? He's an you know him? He's, he's an atheist. He's, he's uh, an atheist, oh, okay. but he's, oh, he's a neuroscientist. Know. So I, I understand his language. <laughs> <laughs> I read a few, pa- a few of his pages and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I got to get rid of this book. Get out of here. <laughs> it's the devil in disguise. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has the free will to write it. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. And you have the free will um, to throw it away. Okay. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Um, all right. You said we were leading into one of my next questions. Where well, no, I just wanted to ask you if you wanted to pivot uh, to the question where you, I think it's seven on our list. Why can't Christian, oh wait, not that one. Um, oh yeah, the last one. Oh, you already talked about free will. Is that the one? Well, the one about like, why are there so many different denominations oh, of Christianity, right? Um, Maybe it's not on our list, but you did have that, I think, as one of your questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, let me just offer a response to that and we don't have to spend too much time on it, but the reason there are so many different denominations in Christianity, um, is because oftentimes 
people who read the scriptures, they're, they, they're not rightly dividing the scriptures. And so they're taking things out of context and they create religions based on that. Um, but there is, according to the word, one truth. Now, that doesn't mean that every professing Christian who reads the Bible will understand that. We're, we're commanded in Second Timothy, I think it's 2.16, to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is a command that we study and rightly divide the word. Does that always happen? No. Are there sinful men that have sinful, wicked agendas? Yes. Do they sometimes use the Bible as fodder to promote their own selfish agenda? Yes. You can look at the Crusades where they killed so many Christian believers uh, in the name of Christ. That, does, that doesn't even make any sense. Jesus Christ is against murder, but yet the Crusades wore Jesus on their back. It doesn't make any sense. So do people take the scriptures and pervert it? Absolutely. Um, there is no such thing as denominations. There's only one way, one truth. That's Christ in the Bible. So it's not that God wrote a cryptic book that no one can understand. No. It's that humans pervert it the way they choose. That's one, that's one reason. I would say the other reason is not everybody follows the command given to them in the Bible, which is to study the word rightly divided. Most people will go to their local church, and if their pastor who graduated from a seminary tells them they need to be water baptized to be saved, they will never go home, open their own Bible, read the scriptures rightly divided for themselves to test if that is true. They'll just go, okay, where's the nearest pool? Dunk me in. <laughs> right? I mean, and look, baby Christians who are new to the scriptures are going to fall victim to false teachings and denominations that are wrong. It's going to happen. Why? Because they're not strong enough in the word. It happened to me. When I got saved, there was nobody in my family who was a Christian. I didn't even own a Bible. I didn't even know what Bible to, to buy. I mean, it had to be the Holy Spirit because I literally by myself went to Barnes and Nobles. I stood in front of a bookshelf that was a mile long with a bazillion different copies of the Bible. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what to get. And I just was like, God, what do I get? And I just felt King James Bible, get the King James Bible. Okay. Got a King James Bible, something that I, that I could read. And that's the one that's really hard to understand, yeah, right? That's a hard one. That's a, that's a tough one. To yeah. Understand. And I just went home, locked myself in the room and started reading. And I didn't know anything about right division. I didn't even know all the 10 commandments. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think I knew like three of them. <laughs> I've um, got an issue with those commandments, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying that, you know, this whole question about why are there so many different denominations and why do people use the Bible to do wicked things? That's how cults are formed. I mean, cults are the, the perfect example of how they use, a lot of cults will use the Bible, not everyone, but a lot of cults will take the Bible and pervert it in a way to lead a group of people into do something mind control them, brainwash them by the fear of God, use the fear of God to do it and lead these people into crazy heresies. 
it, it just happens. It's wicked men with wicked hearts who are not led by the, by the spirit of God. And those who, who study their scripture, rightly divided, like we're commanded to do in second Timothy will eventually come out of all of that garbage. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, that probably leads a, a lot of what we're just talking about leads into another question I had, which was um, why would God allow millions of people to be deluded and deceived? And I think this is mentioned in Thessalonians too. Um, you know, how could so many millions of people be purposely kept from, uh, kept from learning the truth, but then punished for not, for not being able to learn the truth? It just well, I think that sounds that's circular of, to me. I feel like it, I, it, I think that it's, they were kind of already, um, they were being disobedient, those people. And God just said, okay, you know what? you're going to be, you're going to act this way. You're going to be disobedient anyway. You're not, you're not following my command. You're not believing in me anyway. So fine, go. You want to, you want to live that life? Go live that life. That's why yeah, I, I felt like he blinded them and said, I'm going to blind you. And then you're going to suffer. You're going to be punished. No, they were already in that mindset. God just let them live the way. Yeah. They yeah. Let, let's give the listener some context because for those who are listening, who don't know what Cheryl is referring to in terms yeah. of second Thessalonians, yeah, let, let me read the verses, right. And okay. give some con and give some context here. Cause this is a very easy question to answer. Okay. And, yep. and Cheryl, we can clear up this confusion lickety split. Okay. Um, so this chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talks about the events prior to the Lord's second coming. That's the context that Paul is talking about, what's going to happen before Jesus returns. And in the verse, uh, verse 11 that your, your question is about, it's in the section talking about the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. And those who are given over to the lie that this man of lawlessness perpetrates. So let me read it uh, in context. So I'm going to start at verse nine. It says, this man, that's referring to the Antichrist, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Here's your answer. Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. So what's happening here, like Michelle said, because these people of their own choice refused the love of the truth that would save them, God turns them over to themselves. He just says, have it your way, like Burger King. Have it your way. <laughs> you, you, ch you chose to refuse the truth. That would save you. So but I mean, is it clear that they know they're choosing the wrong truth? You know what I mean? Like, do they know they're following the wrong path? Yeah. I don't think so. I think the idea here is that they are given over to believe the lie as though the lie is the truth. So, the, so these people get to a point of, during this time of the Antichrist where because in some time past, prior to the Antichrist coming to power, they refused to love, they refused the love of the truth. And as it says here, uh, that would save them. So it's, 
I think it's a reference to the gospel there, right? Mm -hmm. And so they refused that. And as a result, like as the consequence of that, God says, have it your way. And so they believe, they believe the lies that are coming through this beast system as though they're good, as though they're great. And this is wonderful. They're, they're, God gives them over to believe what they want to believe. Mm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is not talking about, um, God doing this in general. This is specifically talking about this time period where those who go into this time. But I feel will, like I've seen this, this, uh, you know, being deluded and deceived, um, you know, or following the, a false, you know, false prophets or false truth. I, I see that scattered around the Bible now. Like it's, it's a kind of a common theme. And then it's a little bit like, how do you know? Like, how do you know you're, how do these people know they're following the wrong way? Great question. So I, I would agree that uh, when we look at the Pauline epistles, he does warn. There are a lot of warnings. Be careful of false teachers. Be careful of uh, well, can I get men example? that appear to be ministers of righteousness, but are really angels, uh, you know, like, like angels of uh, Satan in disguise, right? Yeah. Say, what is it? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Right. So wickedness never comes obvious. It always comes sounding good. And I had heard someone had said this, and I thought it was brilliant. They said, discernment is not the ability to discern right and wrong. Discernment is the ability to be able to discern between kind of right and truth. Oh yeah, I I have seen that too. Yeah, and I was like, wow, that's that's it. Yeah, it's, I don't it, know who said that, but it's yeah. much more subtle than you know left or right. It's it's left or left of center. <laughs> right. It's like, and so it kind of sounds to me like what you're asking, like how does one get that ability to discern? Can I give an example? I mean, yeah, yeah, I, please, Michelle, I, I don't mean no disrespect to you, Cheryl. I love you. <laughs> I do. I just want to preface that, preface that, that first is that I right, think so. Let's say let's use you as the example. So like you're you're not accepting the truth that we're um, showing you. Like we're 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 you know giving you the Bible. We're giving you, you know, we're we're speaking what we believe is the truth, and you're kind of refusing right now, you know, to accept the truth, but yet. You know, let's say you read a book and it's called, you know, Sam Smith is the uh, the author, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> oh, poor Sam Smith. <laughs> and like, and like, you know, you're reading it and it sounds good to you. And like, you're like, wow, I think I'm going to follow what he says. You know, it sounds great. It sounds good. He's not harming anybody, you know? So it's kind of like that. It's kind of like, you know, so you're refusing the, what we are saying is the truth and you're going to read something that you're going to believe instead. So God's going to say, all right, well, you know what, if you want to believe that, then go ahead, believe it, enjoy it. You know, I think it's- Yeah, it's and you know what? They're not mutually exclusive either. I mean, science does exist, whether or not a God does. You know, it's not like it's one or the other. You know what I mean? <laughs> so hmm, I don't so you could, I could, Sam Harris could still be right about oh, uh, the Harris way the brain works, let's say. Uh, that still doesn't have anything to do with, you know, whether there's proof of a God or not, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. And, and I mean, I would say that science 
supports the existence of a God. And I believe that we don't need to divorce science from faith in God. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And the more, you, the more science evolves, I know I've studied a lot of quantum physics and a lot of the quantum scientists have said that the more deeper and the more they understand about quantum reality, they actually realize that it supports the scriptures. It supports the Bible. So I would say that it's more that our science hasn't caught up to God, but I don't think we need to divorce science from God. I think science supports the existence of God. Oh, I would like to see that off Mm. offline. Um, Dive into that a little bit. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, when you get into quantum physics, the physics are different than let's say the physics we were taught, you know, in seventh grade. Sure. Uh, And so things don't make logical sense in terms of the way traditional science lines up. And so when you start getting into more quantum theory, quantum physics, they start to go, wow, you know, the things that are described in the Bible scientifically can be proven. And I'm sure there's a lot more that, you know, we need to, uh, to explore as far as the realm of science to really fully grasp God, you know, but um, yeah. So again, I just, I just offer that we don't need to separate them. Sure. I wish I I knew the name of that. Remember the thing um, had a long weird name. I think it started with an L it was something in in the universe and it's uh, something that's. uh, Oh, I know what you're talking about. I don't know, Michelle. I I know what you mean. Yeah. Offline, let's try to think of that. I know yeah, what you mean. It's like, it's, like they break it all the way down and it's a cross. It's a cross, but it's also something there's something in us. It's something that's that's in us. Joe might know because I think he was yeah, the one that he did. Yeah. A lot yeah. of churches say that. But yeah, he Joe's not home right now. But he just, yeah. we'll, we'll share yeah. that with Cheryl offline. I mean, I don't remember the name of it. You are the one, you and Joe brought that to my attention. And that was pretty fascinating. That yeah. was. I don't I know what Cheryl would like that. Cheryl yeah, I think like Cheryl that. would like that. Yeah, Cheryl, you would like this. Whatever it is. <laughs> we can't remember. <laughs> Whatever it is, you love it. Whatever it is, I love it. Whatever it is. <laughs> Okay, so let's keep going. So I think, does, does that make sense, Cheryl, in, in context, what that Second Thessalonians 2.11 verse means? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so let's jump into um, a big, big question I see in these debates all the time is the question of morality. And how could you possibly have any morality without a God? And I find that such a strange, like, I don't need a God to tell me not to murder people. I mean... Right. Every society, godless or not, has, you know, sort of a code of ethics to to keep everyone's well-being at its highest level. So I I just don't understand how Christians can argue that, you know, if there's no God, where do you get your morality from? I mean, I get it from my brain. Um, What do you guys say to that? Yeah, I I would actually agree that um, when we look at your question where would we get our morality without God? We don't because God gave all of us a conscience and our conscience that God, that's God given in everyone, whether they believe in Christ or not, bears witness to what is right and wrong. So the problem is not that we don't have a God given conscience that we could discern right and wrong. The problem is because of our sin nature, we can't obey it a hundred percent of the time. Even Gentiles, the Bible says, who were not given God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. And we get that from Romans 2, 14. Mm. So that's why uh, 
someone who hasn't received the gospel still can make moral ethical decisions because God placed in all of us that conscience to be able to say, "Mm, I kind of innately know that killing someone is wrong. That's from God. That's, that doesn't come the moment a person believes in the gospel that they then get a conscience. No, you're born with that. It's a God given conscience. Oh, good. Because I'm glad we agree because when I hear, Christians in some of these debates just acting like we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know what they say or what they're saying, but I mean, if they're saying that we don't have a conscience given by God, that's just biblically incorrect. Yeah. Um, now what they might be trying to say, and I don't, I don't know because I haven't heard it, but what they might be trying to say is that, through reading and studying the scriptures, we can renew our minds so that the areas of our minds that have become distorted or dysfunctional can come back into balance through studying the word of God. Uh, Sure. But that's, that's not speaking to a God-given conscience. It's almost like those are two separate things. So I don't know if that's what they're trying to say, but yeah, you, you do not need to receive the good news to have a conscience yeah it's kind of like um yeah when you like when you talk about you know the change of heart but you know it doesn't mean a person who who doesn't believe in god it doesn't mean that person can't live a righteous life or something you know just it just feels uh off you know like yeah, I mean, the, cha- the change of heart that the Bible refers to, like the, the actual definition of repentance, I mean, there's three d- different definitions in the Bible of the word repentance, but during the, t- the dispensation that we're in, the dispensation of grace, when we refer to repentance, it references a change of mind or a change of heart about the things of God and about sin. That's what it is. It's a change of mind where you're changing your mind from thinking that, you know, whatever a person is thinking prior to thinking, wow, there's only one God. I am a sinner. Uh, That God is Christ. And I need to receive the gospel to be saved. Like you change your mind about believing that that's repentance. Like you have a change of heart about the things of God and you have a change of heart about sin where you come into agreement with what God says is sinful so for example, you know, one of the, the ones we all always talk about is homosexuality because that is so hotly deb- debated nowadays. And human wisdom would say, well, what's so wrong about it? Love is love, right? Let, let whoever they want to be with behind closed doors, let it, let it be. Okay, well, a repentant heart or a repentant mind, someone who comes into fellowship or agreement with God about the things of uh, sin would say, yes, we could see that point of view, but we have repented or we have had a change of mind about that position because we come into agreement with what God says about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's sin rather than morality. Um, yeah. But I know there's this atheist that, that um, he's, he's passed on, but uh, he used to say, you know, when Moses was heading, when Moses and his tribe were heading to the sermon on the Mount, you know, they wouldn't, you know, to find out what the commandments were, I mean, 
they wouldn't have even made it to that mountain or any other mountain in any other direction without already having a moral code. So it's just, it's a funny, yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, no, that's a great like, question. I, I didn't need God to tell me that, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what do you mean I can't rape and murder all the time, you know? Like, but there are some, some Christians that will kind of call into these shows and act like we'd be raping, stealing, and murdering all day long if God didn't tell us not to, <laughs> you know? I just think that's ridiculous, you know? Well, yeah, because again, it's that <laughs> we all have a God-given conscience but the problem is because of our sin nature, we don't obey it a hundred percent of the time. Sure. That's the issue. And even once a person becomes a believer, it doesn't mean that they shed their sin nature and it's gone forever and they never sin again. I mean, that's not true either. Right. It yeah. just means that you're coming into agreement more with what God thinks about things than what you think about things. That's really what the shift is. It's not that you're somehow, it's not like you're a little, it's not like you're a mini Jesus. You're not, a, you're not like a mini Jesus running around. I mean, you know. Um. Well, I, but, but I would think in general, we still live that way in the sense, like, let's say, you know, regardless of a God, we still don't just run around doing every little thing we want. Like sometimes we know to stand back and say, this wouldn't be right regardless. Right. You right. know, or this, because you have be a conscience or this wouldn't be, you know, good for somebody else or. Yep. You know? Yeah, that's true. And I mean, look, are there some unbelievers that are able to obey their, the law of the conscience better than some believers? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, good point. I mean, I mean there are it, unbelievers that still probably follow the law pretty well, you know. <laughs> but right. and, 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 and doing it for that reason, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and the Bible tells us that that's true. So we know that we're not just making that up, right? In our own mind or our own opinion, the Bible says that you know, even, even Gentiles, you know, who were not given the law, you know, they they instinctively follow the law because their conscience bears witness, it says, accusing them or defending them. So our conscience bears witness to us like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Sure. Or, or you know, or that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Michelle, do you have any other final thoughts on that or should we jump to another question? Jump to another question. All right. Well, here's a big one that, um, uh, the topic of Jesus's sacrifice, um, what he sacrificed for us. And um, atheists have a funny way of, of uh, describing what really happened, you know, from their lens, right? So they would say, well, did Jesus really sacrifice for us when it was really God sending a version of himself down to earth, sacrificing himself, rising from the dead a few days later to go back to being an almighty, everlasting God. Um, what was the real sacrifice there? So I think that, you know, again, it's a, it's a funny or um, colloquial way to look at things, but. Uh, well, Can I try to answer? How, how do you, yeah. Like, how do you, how do you answer someone who's looking at it from that way? Like, what did he really sacrifice? You know? I know that I know you, you can give the biblical um, answer, Steph, but I, I think for me, it, it, the sacrifice was 
him paying our sin debt. That's the sacrifice. The sacrifice is he didn't have to save us. Um, you know, if we believe that we're sinners, if we believe that, you know, when, and when Eve disobeyed the Lord and, and ate that apple, and then we were all doomed to death because of one man's um, sin, you know, we were doomed to death. Everybody who was going to die was going to be separated from God. God didn't want that to happen. So somebody had to pay that debt. Somebody had to, um, and God did that for us. God said, you know what? I love these people. I don't want them to be separated. I, I'm going to sacrifice my life for them. I'm going to pay that debt because we, we were, we were going to like the devil bought us pretty much. So it's like he, he paid that debt, that bill of sale for us. And that was the sacrifice sacrifices. He did that. And that's, that's me saying it, you know, that way, but now Stephanie, mm -hmm. you can take it. Cause I know that you, you know, you, you'll show scripture of that. And he did it for love and it's a free gift. And, you know, uh, that's how I would explain it. I just, that's yeah. the sacrifice. I mean, out of, out of all the ways God could have, you know, figured out a, a way for us to pay. I, right. I, I used to think the same thing because I thought it was very yeah, like, what he did. Like, why, like, right. Right. Why like, is human bloodshed? Right. The well, <laughs> well, and then Stephanie has a great answer for that as well. The bloodshed. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I, I mean, the blood, it, it's always has been, um, the shedding of blood back to Eve. Eve did, you know, did that sin, but God still loved her. And what he did was there was a sacrifice to cover them. He, the first sacrifice was when he threw, you know, took them out of the, the Garden of Eden. He wanted them not to be naked and cold. So what he did was he shed blood of an innocent animal to, to make clothing to, to protect them. So that there was a blood sacrifice. And, um, and that's a kind of a foreshadow of covering. He shed that blood to cover and protect them just where, as Jesus came to earth to shed his blood to cover us. So that's mm. how I would explain it. But I know biblically, um, Stephanie could, um, you know, definitely give a lot of scripture because she knows the scriptures very well and how there's life in the blood. And she could tell you where that is and explain it better. So. Well, first of all, let me just say, I think this is a great question. Yeah. You know, I'm an animal lover. So the whole idea of killing an animal or, I mean, God you know, couldn't or, make or, a blanket. Or a human. <laughs> yeah. Or, or a human. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, like I said before, I never really understood the purpose of the cross. It didn't make any sense to me. And growing up Catholic, always seeing this man named Jesus on a cross, I was like, I don't get that. I don't get how any of that has anything to do with God. Never made any sense to me. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think your question, why did God decide that, that uh, bloodshed, blood was required for atonement or for forgiveness? Um, here, here's, here's a response I would offer, that God requires blood to atone for sin because life is in the blood and sin leads to death. So we can see that to balance out or to atone for death, sin leads to death the the requirement was life and life is in the blood and we see this in leviticus 17 11. god says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and i have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul now if we ask why it's because to atone death 
it requires life and life is found in blood. So I would say that from a biblical perspective is why God is saying blood is required. Life is required to offset or atone Mm -hmm. sin or death. So if we think of things in terms of life and death, um, you know, that would be, and then to Michelle's point, the idea that the blood covers us, covers the sin or atones for the sin, you know, we see that, we can see that foreshadowed in, in, in the story of Genesis. Um, does that make a little more sense? It, it does. Um, very well put. It, it just, I, I can tend to loop back to, but, but why did he have to arrange it that way? You know, but... Um, well, it's kind of like, you, yeah, you don't agree with it. And, you know, I mean, it's, it is gory and, 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 you know, I don't understand like why the, like, what couldn't you think of a nicer way, you know, but, <laughs> but I guess, yeah, no, it's just that you can't question. I mean, not that you can't question God, but it's kind of like, it just, that this is where you're like, well, you know, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna not, I'm not gonna, uh, argue with the Lord, the maker, just because I don't, I don't like the way he did it. You know, it's kind of like, this is where I'm like, well, you're my, you're my father, you're my parent, and I have to obey what, you know, what's good for me. And I have to um, just go with it. And I may not like it, but I have to go with it because that's what you do. You obey your parent and that's what God is. And I'm not going to sacrifice my, my salvation. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to go to hell for eternity because I don't agree with, you know, the way God had planned the way things are going in the way he's doing things, I'm not going to do myself to eternally separated from him because I'm, I'm just not agreeing with him. I'm not the maker. You know what I mean? I'm, and that's in the Bible too. You know, the potter, where is clay? And I'm not going to tell the potter, you know, I don't like the way you made me. I don't like the way you do things. Uh, the way he could, you know, he could say, well, you know what, if you don't like it, then I'll throw you in the garbage. Well, I don't want to be thrown in the garbage, you know, <laughs> throw you in the garbage. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and just to be clear, it's it's not like I'm skeptical just because mm. it doesn't sound good to me and I right. wish it was a different way. Yeah. I mean, I'm skeptical because yeah. things aren't lining up for me yet. But, mm-hmm. right, right. Um, not, you know, just to be clear, it's, it's sure, not sure. like, oh, I don't like this guy. I want to pick a different God or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I saw Jesus, I remember when I was a kid, I was, you know, not in any religion. I wasn't even Jewish at the time. And I just remember my friend who was Catholic coming home from church um, during Easter. And I remember her showing me a viewfinder. And um, and I believed in God. I didn't really know much about him, but I believed in, in God. And if I was scared, I knew to pray to God. He was going to protect me. And I remember her showing me this viewfinder. And it was the crucifixion. And oh my gosh, I was my, sick to my stomach. Like I just remember the sick feeling and and scared. I was That was the first time I actually was what got fearful of the Lord because I, I couldn't believe and I didn't understand because I was a little kid. I was, I was young. I didn't have like an adult brain and, and just the idea that he sacrificed his son, someone who we loved. I was like, well, what the heck is that about? Like I was angry too. I was mad at, at the Lord. Cause I, I just, and then I was like, well, if he could do that to his son, what if he does that to me? You know, like I just remember just being terrified of that because of the gruesomeness of it, the gruesomeness of somebody actually hammering a nail in somebody's, you know, God did that to his son and, and required like that bloodshed just, oof, it was, it was really rough, 
for me. Well, remember, people were crucified all the time back then. So it's and I didn't know that. Yeah, I was a kid. I didn't know that at all. <laughs> moment, you know. Yeah. I just saw G. I just saw the viewfinder. And I just saw Jesus on a cross, and there was blood everywhere. And I was just like, "What did he do?" Well, you know, let's jump back to Cheryl's first question about yeah. how is Jesus's sacrifice a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, let's start by defining the word sacrifice, right? So what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is an act of slaughtering an animal or person or surrendering a possession as an offering to God or to a divine supernatural figure. So it's the act of slaughtering a person or animal or surrendering a possession and offer to God, right? Or to something divine. So we see that Otherwise, it's just murder. (laughs) Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. Good point. Exactly. So Jesus qualifies as a sacrifice because he was slaughtered. He was a person slaughtered, acceptable by God, on our behalf, offered up to God. Now, let's see what Hebrews 10.5. Cheryl, can I just read the one scripture and then then we could plug away? Just to support what I'm saying biblically, right? Hebrews 10.5 says this, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. So God poured out all of his wrath and anger for our sin on Christ and his God gave him flesh and blood to sacrifice, to offer up to him as acceptable on our behalf. So go ahead. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the skeptical side says, you know, how do you, so you, you produce a human body for the, for the, you know, you send this human person specifically here in order to sacrifice. And sacrifice to me would be like you lose your life forever right if if you said to me uh cheryl if if you let us sacrifice you you know world hunger would end i'd be like great you know end my life so that world hunger could end but i would be gone forever like i wouldn't rise in three days and be a god right so again it's like the sacrifice would be my life ends permanently but that's not the definition of sacrifice right yeah yeah, yeah. the definition of sacrifice doesn't say that the animal or person has to be gone forever. It just says that something has to be it given. It just means the body is slaughtered, right? <laughs> exactly. It's slaughtered and offered to God. To your point, otherwise it's it would not, just be murder. It's not the way we use the word sacrifice. Like I'm giving up, you know, the rest right, Like I'm sacrificing my time for you, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, but, it, but if we use the word sacrifice in, in, in the context of to offer up, we, we could see that it was the flesh that, and blood that God gave to Christ in his incarnation to offer up and to pour his wrath out upon for our behalf. So in that context, it, it uh, is a sacrifice by definition, being offered up as, a, as an atonement for us. Except when Jesus was murdered or sacrificed i mean he wasn't sacrificed he wasn't you know they didn't nail him to a cross to offer him to god i mean he committed a crime and that was the punishment 
in the natural, right? Yeah. But but when but when um, we see two things in scripture. One, Jesus says that he's giving himself up. Like he he says, I think it was to Pilate that I'm not of this world, but if you were in my kingdom, I would send, like, I would have angels to, you know, come and rescue me in a sense. I don't know the exact wording, but the point is, is that Jesus did all of this of his own willingness. So it wasn't like he couldn't at any moment put a stop to it. Right. Um, and he was purposely committing blasphemy so that they would execute him. Well, he, he had to do something, right, to make them kill him, right? He 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 was he was saying that he was God, and under Jewish law, if a if a person claimed to be God, that was punishable by death by under Jewish right. law. So as it's blasphemy. It's, it's, you know, you know, you're committing a, you know, you're doing something that you're going to get killed for. I mean, yes. I mean, Jesus can't lie. Jesus knew the law <laughs> and he knew the law. So he couldn't lie. He couldn't say, Oh, I'm not God. I mean, he, he had to be truthful, but in being truthful, um, you know, yeah. I mean, the, according to Jewish law, that would, that would be blasphemy. So that's what he was brought up to punch his pilot on charges of. That's why punch his pilot was like, this man is not guilty of anything because he was not Jewish and he didn't follow Jewish law. So he was like, I don't see anything that this guy did that is punishable by death. That's why Pontius Pilate washed his hands of it. Mm. And he turned it over to the people. Pontius Pilate said, look, let the people decide. So that's kind of how Jesus is the sacrifice. And, and Paul was the one who received the mystery. And it was, it was not until the mystery was revealed to Paul that people realized that the revelation of Christ was given to Paul, that the death of Jesus on the cross was given as atonement for the sins of all of mankind. Even the Jewish people who followed Christ, who were watching him get crucified, had no idea at that moment that the reason he was being crucified was to die for the sins of the world as an acceptable sacrifice to God. They had no idea about that. Sure. That's why they were sad. That's why they were all crying and, and sad and, oh, you know, yeah. That's why a lot of people say, well, why didn't Jesus just jump down off the cross and go, ta-da? Well, <laughs> ta-da. <laughs> because uh, he, he needed to go through death. He needed to break that power of sin and death by dying and then resurrecting to break, to, to show evidence that he was who he claimed to be, breaking the power of sin and death. And that's why those who are in Christ possess that same authority that when we die through Christ and in Christ, we have the power to overcome death. That's why we're given eternal life. Hmm. Um, okay. Should we jump to the next question or do you have any other yeah. questions about that? Okay. I'm good with that. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. Okay. So a, uh, uh, there's a constant phrase I hear a lot, so I'd love some clarity, um, which is basically the life has no purpose without God kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, and I think I've heard you say several times too, like, um, you know, life on earth is just a blip, just a 
second in time, but, you know, compared to an afterlife, right? So um, it, it just feels contradictory, contradictory to me when I hear people talk about earthly life having, you know, no real purpose without God. But then if you're only going to be on this earth in order to get to the afterlife, then aren't you the one, isn't the Christian the one not not having a purpose on earth the way perhaps an atheist, an atheist who thinks this is the only life I've got. So maybe the atheist is the one creating real purpose on earth. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm asking. Yeah, no, I know exactly what, what you mean in your question. And I think <laughs> like, it's a great question. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people have, have probably pondered this. Um, like if nothing matters here because all that matters is making it to the next life, that sounds a little weird to me. Well, let me offer a response to that. I would say that it's not one or the other, but it's both. Yeah. I think God's intention is that we live our best life here while on earth because what we do in the body is important to God, but God want, would have us have him as a part of it. So it's, it's not divorcing one from the other. It's, it's really God would want us to live our life as best we can according to his will and to have him to be a part of that life. So if people only focus on the here and now, they only focus on getting to the next day, making plans for, for their future, but that plan for their future stops at death and they don't plan for their eternity and they kind of leave that part out of the equation. I don't think that's God. That would be God's best for us. I think that God would intend for us to honor all three parts of who we are, because the Bible says that we're body, we're mind and we're soul. Uh, I'm sorry. We're body, soul, and spirit. Let me say that again. We're three parts, body, soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions and spirits so or three parts. So God would have us to honor all of those parts and not just say, just honor the body and, and just, 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 just do as you need to do here, but then forget about your soul and forget about factoring in your eternity. But I would, I would say God wants you to, to do both. Factor in eternity into your life, into the equation. Um, and, and I could offer two scriptures here to support that. You know, one verse in the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul in hell? Which is, you know, which is basically saying to us, if a person just goes through life, but they never contemplate eternity, and then they fall, they drop into the pit of hell, what does it really profit that person if they were rich, famous, had everything that their heart desired in the world, but then in the end, they lost their soul? You know, what are they gaining, right? But the counterbalance to that we see uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, where God says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So this includes believers too, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this says to us, yeah, you, a Christian is not supposed to just go, oh, well, pff, all, I, all I care about is, is making it to heaven. So I'm just going to kick back. Uh-uh. Um, a believer, although their sins have been already judged, the works that we do in the flesh, in the body, will 
uh, be tried at the judgment seat of Christ. So for a Christian, they, they need to be mindful of their life and it, and it does have purpose. But I would say that the subtlety there is that a believer lives their life in accordance with the will of God, where an unbeliever as of yet is not living their life according to the will of God as outlined in the Bible. They're living their life according to their will, like what they deem to be what they want to do, where a believer factors in God to that equation. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and one final point I would just say, when a person thinks about what is God's will for a believer, God's will for a believer is to see people saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth and to, and to be thankful in all things. So, you know, that is really the, the will of God acting through the life of a believer. And the Bible says, give your body as a living sacrifice unto God. So, so a believer, a true believer recognizes the, the value and the importance of this life, but they live it unto God. Yep, that's exactly yeah, what and, I would say. And you would definitely have to be, you'd have to be a believer for all of that to make sense. And, you know, if, if you're not a believer, you may not think there's an afterlife, or maybe you think there's Correct. some other type of afterlife, you know, or reincarnation or something else, right? Correct. Um, yeah. But that still, that still doesn't mean you can't live a, you know, a righteous or, life. And I put righteous in air quotes, like, you know. Yeah, they can. They yeah, they can live a righteous life, but just like Stephanie said, they they their eternity is just going to look different. You can live righteously and yeah, the but they don't know that. You know what I mean? Like right. they don't think right. it's true, right. so therefore they're not worried about it. Right? right, they're not worried about it. But one day they will. Right, they will be. They'll know. They'll they'll, they'll have their answer. You know, and then it'll be too late. So that's why God's will. You know, our purpose here on earth, people who are believers, are to tell people this and and you know try to not convince them but just plant that seed you know like god do the watering so and the lord's watering right now you know this seed's being planted in your in your heart and the lord is watering you, so. <laughs> he's planted a lot of seeds <laughs> and you know what he's telling us to do he's telling you not to read sam whatever his name is <laughs> michelle you have it out for that guy man you i know out. Damn. <laughs> out for him like him i, I recognize him. <laughs> i don't even know who he is oh he, he was bad that's funny <laughs> yeah j just one quick thing just to piggyback on what michelle said you know the verse that says what does it profit a man to gain the whole world that shows us that a a man you know generally speaking a man or a woman can gain the whole world outside of a relationship with God, right? It says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but then lose his soul in hell? So it's not saying that it's not possible right. for an unsaved person to gain the whole world. If anything, they probably could gain it more. <laughs> they could mm. probably, uh, you know, go along the course of the world and better and easier than a believer probably. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and... Right. So it's, it's. Cause a true believer is going to go counterculture, right. To stand for truth 
and to stand for what the scripture teaches according to Christ, it's the world is going to hate in general, right? The system of the world will come against the, the, the ways of God. So there's going to be more resistance there where if a person goes the course of the world, they're probably going to be able to get more or gain more or, yeah. Yeah, should we wrap it up, you think? And then we could do another podcast to answer. Well, more well yeah, but I think Cheryl has sure. one more question. I do oh, have oh. one more question, and then we yeah. can wrap up. Um, yeah. And it, it's a nice way to just close this whole thing out, mm -hmm. which is is just kind of a a broad, um, you know, is it is it even possible that some lines in the Bible are incorrect? You know, is it... Um, whether it's a mistranslation, whether it's a fabrication, whether it's a distorted memory. Um, I mean, is it just, is it possible at all or every word is the true word of God? Well, Michelle, can I take, can I take this one and then? You can sure can. It? Okay. Um, she does it so well. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. Why am I here? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so, because believers trust the word, let me share with you what the word says, right? I'm going to answer it with scripture. Okay. Scripture says that all scripture was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in 2 Timothy 3.18. So the question, is it possible that a Christian can believe the Bible is wrong or distorted? We would say no because we believe the scripture that says all scripture is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what that means is that the Holy Spirit of God wrote or spoke through the men and women who wrote scripture. So we, that's why you'll hear a Christian say it's the word of God. It's, it's like God spoke his word through people. So no one's, no one's saying that God himself authored any part of the book, right? It's, it's an inspiration through man. It's a, it's a men, holy men, the Bible says holy men wrote scripture under the inspiration or the influence of the Holy Spirit. So it really wasn't their words. It wasn't like some guy woke up one day and said, hmm, let me write a story about a guy who built a boat and I'll come up with this great story about, oh, the whole world got flooded and killed everything. It's not a novel. It's not, the, the scriptures are not coming from the creative mind of a human, the scriptures are coming almost like, for lack of a better word, channeled writing, right? Like you would see a, like a channeler would, would write, you know, through a demonic spirit, they would write stuff. They're under the influence of a demonic spirit. Well, scriptures are under the influence of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So even like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like even the people that were firsthand accounts, it's still inspired by the Lord, even though they were there and they're writing down their letters. Well, I mean, we could say that those, those are, um, eyewitness accounts, but probably we could, we could say that the things that the Holy Spirit had them recall mm -hmm. to write down was, I would say, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because even think like about, Paul, because even Paul. I mean, think Paul, about like, if, if, you, if, I, if I had you, Michelle, write about your past, I mean, it could be volumes and volumes and volumes, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, but when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all like spoke about 
kind of the same things. Mm-hmm. I would say that was probably led by the Holy Spirit, but it was their experience, their eyewitness accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so that's one point. So the question, why can't Christians believe it's possible for the Bible to be wrong? We would say, well, it can't because it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That, that's w- one thing. Second thing is the Bible says that God's word is eternal in this life and in heaven. If we look at Psalm 119.89, it says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. So we see here that the word is preserved here in the earth realm, but it stands firm in heaven. And it's the word that God will use to judge all of us. If it's not in his word, we're not guilty of it. But if it's in his word, we can't claim ignorance. And um, so his word is eternal. And if we look at what we get from 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we learn that believers receive scripture as the word of God, not as the word of men. Mm -hmm. It says here, for this cause also thank God we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So we see here that those who have the Holy spirit have that understanding and receive scripture as the word of God, not as the word of men. Um, so again, that's, that's another reason why a Christian is not looking at the scripture as flawed. And then, um, I have one, one other verse that I think can offer some value. First Corinthians two fourteen. kind of piggybacks on what we just said. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolish unto him, neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. So so what this is saying is that for a person who does not have the Holy Spirit, they will not be able to see or understand that those words are the word of God. Why? It says because the natural man cannot receive the things that come from the spirit of God, i.e. his word. They are foolish to him. So going back to your friend there, Sam, Cheryl, uh, Michelle, your friend, yeah. Michelle, Sam, he, he, you know, someone who, let's say an atheist doesn't have the Holy Spirit, the words of God that are spiritual, the things that come from the spirit of God are foolish to those. It sounds foolish. Yeah. It goes back to, there's no amount of studying, you know, if yes. you haven't received it, then you know, it's not going to make sense or it's not going to make sense. And why the Bible says, because the things that come from God's spirit are spiritually discerned. So without that Holy spirit, that spiritual discernment just isn't going to be there. And it's going to sound foolish, silly. Um, yeah. So going back to the question, why do Christians not believe it's possible for the Bible to be incorrect, I would say for all of these reasons. Yeah. 
Now, again, it goes back. If a person doesn't have that Holy Spirit, they're going to go, well, that's not the word of God. And it's like, okay. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. And that's, that's why someone without the Holy Spirit, uh, spirit would, would think, uh, that there's, um, contradictions and all kinds of things. Even sometimes just the way the Bible reads to me is, is just bizarre. Like, even if they're describing a miracle, they say it like it's a normal everyday happening. Like, and then he put his hands on him and he, and the cripple walked away. And then. Oh, Cheryl, you're you're, on, right. It's just. Your mic went down. It's spoken about. Just say it again. When when you were saying that the the miracles in the Bible just sound like an everyday thing. Yeah. it, It would, you know, a line in the Bible would be like, and then he placed his hands on the cripple and the cripple got up and walked away. And then the, you know, and then this, the next step sentence starts and it just makes it sound like it was a normal activity <laughs> instead of like, it's not some embellished story that I don't know. I would, I would think you'd have to add a few more lines if, uh, if you were really describing something like that, but I don't know why. That yeah. Just- I, I mean, j- just to comment on what you said about contradictions in the Bible and we mm-hmm. briefly mentioned it earlier, but that is, easily solved when, when a person says oh the bible contradicts itself that's easily solved by understanding right division sure. so i would just encourage someone who might see the bible full of contradictions i would encourage them to learn more about right division and once they study the word rightly divided it all makes sense and mm-hmm. all the contradictions go away but that takes study and it takes time and um out of context yes things will contradict themselves but understood correctly the contradictions go away yeah well i sure got a lesson here these were great questions i mean really good questions they Um, come up all the time in these debates so i thought they'd be really good to plug away at here when are you um when are you gonna get baptized (laughs) (laughs) i'm jumping in the pool right now (laughs) well you know michelle you know michelle water baptism (laughs) is not necessary for salvation we're baptized by the holy spirit into the body of christ (laughs) shall we say that shall we lead you in the uh, salvation prayer (laughs) (laughs) i think we should have what's his name sam what what, what's his last name sam harris I think we have to have him on the show. I think we got to get. Oh my god! That we got to put him on the show, <laughs> and then we'll have Michelle interview him. <laughs> he, he's a deep philosopher, so when he talks, we're all gonna go, huh? <laughs> he's, we're gonna we're gonna say we're gonna answer like the simplest question. We're gonna ask him what the heck does that mean? Even on us, we're gonna ask him. Is that a yes or no answer? And he's going right. to go on, and we're going to be like, what did he just say? <laughs> so the answer would be, right? Yes, there you <laughs> <God>. <laughs> right. All right, guys. So why don't we end here? And then, you know, either we'll, we'll do a follow-up if, Cheryl, you have more questions. Yeah, I mean, thanks, I mean, this thanks is awesome. for uh, taking the time to to um, find the right verses and uh, make this 
sound better. And, uh, and I know I still have 10 other questions. Maybe we do another episode. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. All right. Well, thank you. And we'll be back. We'll be back. Bye.